Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hello. Welcome. If you are a first-time listener, so happy you're here. If you are a return listener, so happy you're here. Thank you. It means a lot to me that you would take time out of your day, out of your life to listen to this, to listen to my thoughts, to listen to what I have to say. And again, just thank you. Today's thoughts are on loyalty. And I have been thinking a lot about this topic more and more and the very, the different facets of it. And there's so many different facets of it. And I'm really stoked to kind of dig down into all of them and think about them. And I wish that you were here and we could actually have an exchange and talk back and forth about it because I love to hear people's thoughts on this. These are just mine. So reach out to me after you've listened to this. Let me know yours. I really would love to hear from you because there's a lot to say about this and a lot of different ways you could go about thinking about it, concluding on it with a lot of things, right? I think most topics are nuanced and it's not so cut and dried and straightforward. And there are some great areas and some uncertainties and some conditionalities and some extenuating circumstances that might make you think one way or another, depending on what the context is. And that's just kind of the richness of life. And I think you really limit yourself and we really limit ourselves when we reduce and simplify issues too much. And so that being said, who's ready to get into this? There, gosh, like I said, there's so much to say on loyalty. And there are different kinds of loyalty, right? So you have loyalty to self, loyalty to partner, loyalty to family, to friends, to brands or vendors, to teams, to countries, usually just one country, but to causes. I mean, there's so much, so much, so many different kinds of loyalties. And what does loyalty entail? What should it entail? Loyalty to a partner, to a friend, to a brand, to a family member, to a country, to a cause, to an ideology. Should that loyalty be conditional? Should it be blind? Should it be all-encompassing? And it probably depends on to whom you're pledging your loyalty or to what. I mean, in context matters, right? But really, like generally speaking, we should think about this generally. Should it be conditional? Should it be unconditional? Should it be all-encompassing? Okay, so let's start with talking about loyalty to self. So in my perspective, there are different ways to be loyal to loyal to yourself. So being honest with yourself is a great place to start, right? Level with yourself. And that comes with, when you talk about self-care, that comes with tough love too. It's not just bubble baths and candles and massages. It's actually being aware of the stories you tell yourself to soothe your ego and to make you feel better. Anger can be a great bodyguard for shame and sadness, right? That's often why we lash out or get angry or irritated with people who maybe highlight 
wittingly or unwittingly, things that we don't like about ourselves or places where we misstepped and knew we didn't act like we should have. Um, If we get cheated on, speaking of loyalty, it's easy to get mad at the other person. It's easy to get mad at like the other woman or the other man instead of getting mad at your partner, right? Because it's so much more digestible to feel anger. That goes down easier, more easily than shame and hurt. It sucks to feel hurt. And so anger is a great bodyguard for that. It can swoop in and kind of smooth it over and it feels better. That digests more easily than shame and hurt. So owning your mistakes, taking accountability. We're not always accountable or responsible or at fault for what happens to us. We all get banged up and bruised by life. I mean, we can't choose what family we're born into. We can't choose a lot of the stuff that happens to us, but we can choose how we react to it and we're responsible for choosing, right? I think it's important to have empathy and compassion for each other and see that we can't always choose what happens to us, but it's up to us to do something about it. And that's partly being loyal to yourself. And it's not all just to the detriment of others that you're being loyal to yourself. I mean, I strongly advocate here for compassion and empathy for self and others. That's important for self and others. But I mean, you got to hold yourself accountable and take care of yourself. Take care of your mind, your body, your soul. Nourish those things accordingly with good food, with good thoughts and self-motivating thoughts and a growth mindset and nourishment in all the different ways, literal and figurative. Surround yourself with good people who support you, empower you, and support and empower others. It's not just about what others can do for you. What can you do for others too? Give value, receive value. Give love, receive love. Those are ways that you can be honest and loyal to, to yourself. Don't abandon yourself. Barriers and boundaries, not barriers, gosh, boundaries, are an essential part of that, of not abandoning yourself. Respect yourself by setting those boundaries. Like I said, nourish yourself with with sleep and good food and rest and good thoughts. So here's here's a way that I had, gosh, more and more my eyes are open and that's just how life goes, right? The older you get, the more you learn and the more you see and the more experience. You start to see how maybe you weren't handling life like you should or you start to see ways that you could maybe level up or step up or be better and do better and one way that I have seen that I have abandoned myself and not respected myself is how I was acting in relation to others especially romantic relations and it's funny I was talking to a good friend about this and it might seem surprising because I'm all about boundaries and I'm always advocating for boundaries and all of that. And I, trust me, I can hold my own. I'm not a pushover in a lot of ways and I can really hold my own and defend myself, especially verbally. (laughs) And I do respect myself in a lot of ways and that manifests, but there were other ways where I wasn't. And I, I can trace back why, really. I've done a lot of inner work and reflection and stuff and a lot happens in those formative years, and that's really what sets the tone and the trajectory and the pace. Doesn't mean you can't change it, but a lot of those early developmental relationships really set the tone for later on. So, won't get into the genesis of why I am the way that I am, but 
fast forward to how I'm acting right now and how I recently would act in relationships and stuff is I wouldn't really respect myself and stand up for myself. And a lot of that was from codependency. And because I love to feel needed and I love to feel wanted. I mean, who doesn't really? Most people do. But also, I needed to feel needed and I love to feel, I love, I was a fixer. And, and I'm sure many of you can relate to and see potential in people. And I'd love to, to give them the benefit of the doubt, whether or not they, they deserved it in that moment. And so with a lot of the, the guys that I was dating and seeing, I would overlook some of the red flags and I would, I would not put myself first because I would feel guilty for that. Or I'd feel guilty for asserting myself in in a lot of ways, I didn't, but in very important ways, I, I did. And I didn't respect myself enough. So I've really been hyper vigilant of that. And lately, it's just felt so good and so rewarding to have, because it just seems like life just repeats itself and there are cycles. And until you can break that cycle, those lessons will keep presenting themselves and they have. And it has felt so good. So, 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 so good to have those lessons re- represent themselves not represent themselves, but represent themselves and to break that cycle. And so I'd have guys reach out where in the past, I mean, would see each other and then they'd ghost. And not that I am a stranger to ghosting. I've done my fair share of ghosting, so I'm not blameless. But it was so good to break that pattern and to respect myself and to stand up for myself when I could see that whether they realized it or not, they were disrespecting me. And it felt so good to just assert boundaries in ways that I hadn't before and to respect myself enough to be like, no, that's, that's not okay. And I, I've, we've done this song and dance countless times before. We're not going to do it again. And I'm not even going to, I don't, I'm trying to find that balance between hostility and amicability. Like I don't ever want to be hostile, but there's no need to be sweet about it. I mean, you can, you can still be respectful and amicable, but there's no need to like over accommodate if you know what I mean. So kind of talked about that in a roundabout way. So bottom line, what I'm saying is it just felt good to stand up for myself and to, to put myself first, not to their detriment by any means, because I was still respectful of them and their time and who they are, but I matter too. What I want matters too. I deserve time and commitment and I deserve respect and I deserve to be considered. And even if it's not like a butthead of a person, like they can still disrespect you in in certain ways. And so I'm trying not to, (laughs) I know I'm talking about this in the most like elusive, annoyingly vague way, but I'm trying not to A, identify anybody and I'm trying not to like box it into a certain kind of situation or context. So I just, it just felt good to just stand up for myself and to, to know what I want and to know what I deserve and to, to hold fast to that and to kind of just quietly demand that, you know, because there's no need to just like outwardly demand, like, absolutely not. And this is what I deserve and blah, blah, blah. You don't even need to say it. It's just how you present yourself, how you conduct yourself, what you allow. That's where the rub lies in a lot of this is what you allow and you can do it quietly, just quietly assert, quietly but firmly assert your boundaries. And so 
loyalty to self that comes from honesty and respect and boundaries and boundaries and boundaries all day long. Okay, let's move on to loyalty at a partner. Gosh, what a conversation, right? Um, and lots to talk about here. So relationships differ from one another. There's no one relationship that's like another. And what is one's idea of a healthy relationship might not be another's. And that's important to remember. And you have polyamory, you have monogamy, you have polygamy. People have some very strong thoughts and opinions on those. We're not here to say what's right and what's wrong. Because I'm a very live and let live kind of person. And when it comes to polyamory, I mean, as long as all parties involved are aware and willing... What's it to you if somebody else wants to live their life a certain way? I mean, I, they need to respect your relationship, sure. But what does, it, what does it matter? What does it matter? Let people live their life, right? And so try to keep this as general as possible. It depends on the structure of your relationship based on a mutual consensus as to what is loyalty and what the participants would define as loyalty. And so, I mean, you, I guess we could generally say to be faithful in word and deed, to abide by whatever was agreed upon, right? Um, and really interesting, because I know there's that age-old debate of whether humans are wired for monogamy or not, especially men. Um, and I, I'm of the mind that men and women are all along the spectrum of, of monogamy, as far as we can say like generally men or women tend to be this, but it's so important not to lock them into labels and not to lock ourselves into labels. And we don't even need to get into the pronouns and all of that. But as far as just not locking yourself into a label and men and women and being like, all men suck or all women are this or all men are that or all men think this way or all men do it this way. Gosh, I see men and women all along the spectrum. Some men who are so devoted to their partners, to their wives, to their husbands or whatever. And I see women who are so not devoted to their partner. It's not a gender thing. It's just, sure, there are people who seem like, you know, genders who seem to go a certain way. But it's important to not just blanket statement, all men are like this, all women are like this. But going back to monogamy and whether we're wired for monogamy, I read The Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century um, by the hosts of the Dark Horse podcast, I think it's Heather Hiring, I think I'm saying that right, and then um, Brett Weinstein. So good. So, so good. I love their podcast. Um, they're evolutionary biologists and scientists, and so they take an evolutionary approach to everything, and they filter, they they really cover a broad range of topics in this their book, The Hunter-Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century, parenting, um, health, fitness, um, partnership and marriage and work and play and all of it and it's really eye-opening and fascinating and they talk about monogamy and the different approaches and they talk about sure how men may be wired because they want to spread their seed so to speak and so it, it benefits them in that way but also they argue even from an evolutionary perspective monogamy by far benefits us all and they get into the reasons why and so I won't spoil it for you but I encourage you to go read it it's really really interesting. So rest assured, we're not necessarily not wired for monogamy. We can be wired for monogamy and men can be wired for monogamy too. And it's also your life and you get to choose. So coming back to loyalty to partner, 
there are different kinds of infidelity, right? And it's not just for physical cheating. I mean, we could talk about emotional infidelity and physical infidelity. And I think that's even more of a conversation now in this age of social media and how easy it is to slip into DMs and to put out those feelers. And God, I just, my heart drops whenever I see someone who openly is in a committed relationship reach out to me and it's I mean it's not innocent what they're saying is not innocent I'll I'll call them out on it and then usually they'll just retreat and not even say anything um but I hate I hate hearing about it I hate hearing about it happening to friends and my heart just drops and it's just like really not only does it just sadden me for their partner but it makes them so much less attractive like if you're doing that to your current partner who's to stop you from doing it to me if we were to ever get together which is not going to happen you've just shown your hand I mean you've shown your character and I do believe people can change but from where we are now let's not get into the potentials like let's talk about where we are now face reality as it is now and it this is you and gosh if you're willing to be unfaithful to your wife and disrespect them or your husband and disrespect them that way then I mean, that kind of just shows the kind of person that you currently are, right? I mean, to me, nothing is more attractive. Not that I will, when I say that, I don't mean that I'm going to act on that attraction. I think it's just, I love it when I see partners be faithful to their partner and to speak highly of them and respect them and express affection in their partner's company or away from them. And I just think that's awesome and I love it. And ironically, that's, I mean, at least from my perspective, how you're even more attractive is if you're devoted and faithful. And again, devotion and faithfulness looks different to different people. But I mean, I think maybe that's important to define right up front with your partner or somebody that you're interested in being together with is defining like, what does fidelity mean to you? What does faithfulness mean to you? And I don't know if you watch Sex in the City. I remember, was it the second Sex in the City movie? I think when Miranda cheats on Steve and no, Steve cheats on Miranda. And so one time thing, he it only happened once and he was gutted. He was devastated. He felt so guilty. And it, this came out, I think in, I can't remember. I mean, she obviously found out about it. And so they're in therapy. And so then they're talking about it. And so she's all lit up about it. Miranda's all lit up about it, his wife. And so then Steve, the husband is like, yeah, but what about the other vows? And he, he's not excusing his behavior, but explaining it. And he's saying, we didn't have sex for six months or more. And he's like, and I wanted it. And then just kind of, that's what drove him to seek it elsewhere. Again, not excusing or condoning his behavior, but understanding it. And that is important to understand it. So you can resolve it. You have to understand something. And I think that's important too. And there are different kinds of infidelity in marriages. I mean, especially if you're married and you've taken vows, I guess you can take unofficial vows. So whatever you've committed to in your relationship, if you betray those and dishonor those, that's infidelity too, right? Technically. So if you're not being communicative with your partner, if you're lying to them or shutting down and not letting them in if you are not doing self-work I mean so many different ways that you could not be faithful or true to your partner those need to be considered too 
And so it's so easy. That's usually one the one that gets castigated the most is physical betrayal. But what about emotional betrayal or so many different ways you could betray a partner that are forms of infidelity? And it's so important for you to do the self-work so your shit doesn't bleed onto other people. And that's usually what it is. I mean, if you're if you're unhealthy or unfulfilled or whatever, A, you need to be open with your partner as hard as that is. But going back to loyalty to self, being accountable for your thoughts and your actions and your emotions, doing something about it. If you start to feel distanced from your partner, if you start to feel resentful, if you start to feel whatever, recognize, okay, what boundaries are missing do I need to put out? What am I contributing to this partnership? What am I taking from it? How can I be better? What am I doing right or wrong? An honest assessment. What am I doing right or wrong? Where do I feel unfulfilled? What do I feel is missing? Is that something I can do something about? Or is it something that I need for my partner? And then doing what you can. And then working on yourself. And it's not up to your partner to make you happy. That's codependence. It's not up to your partner to always make you happy and cheerful and all of that. I mean, that's, you're, you're there to support each other in your journey. And it's important to, to do your self work too, and to know yourself and to know, okay, like what are my, what's my baggage from the past? How can I resolve that and work through it? Not that you're a problem to be solved. I've really increasingly more and more come to find an issue with seeing yourself as just perpetually unhealed. I mean, I think it's important to self-reflect and to have a growth mindset, but to also not feel like you just need to push, 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 ebbs and flows. There needs to be a balance to it, but you do. That balance does require you to work on yourself and to try to be the best partner that you can be. And if you're not feeling that same respect from your partner, communicate that. And then if still it gets to the point where it's just too much, respect yourself enough to to leave. I mean, if, if you're not feeling that same respect, if you don't feel like your partner's working on themselves and putting as much into the partnership as you are, again, try to be honest with yourself and not play the victim and not, it's so easy to be like, oh, I do everything. I'm such a giver, giver, giver. And they're such a taker, taker, taker. And then sometimes it's hard to assess yourself clearly. I mean, that's why a therapist, therapist can really help somebody who's trusted, maybe a a trusted confidant of yours, respect the other partner too. And while that, that comes to mind, as you're talking about your partner and your partner's absence, I love those, like I kind of alluded to earlier, who lift up their partners, who aren't always like ragging on their partners and their partner's absence, like, oh, and even in their presence too. And I think it's so beautiful like I, I'm thinking of a coworker. He often comes to mind when I think of like a good, healthy, and this is just my perspective from the outside, but I see them as a good model of a good partnership because whenever he talks about her, oh, you can just basically swooning and they've been married for years and have two kids and you can just see the respect and the high regard that he has for her and he's head over heels for her still thinks she's, and she's beautiful. I mean, she's dropped dead. That's secondary to any other characteristics but she's she is and he'll always rave about how beautiful she is and how smart she is and how cool she is and how talented she is and I just I respect that so much and I love that and so that's another way of betrayal is if you're constantly ragging on your partner 
I mean, venting is important, but refer to my episode on venting versus emotional dumping. And I mean, especially if you're doing it constantly and you're not a good rule of thumb too, is to, to do it once to one person. Um, if it's a continued problem, sure you can talk about it again, but to also balance it out with seeing their strengths too, and not just focusing on their weaknesses or what they don't do. And again, you got to be honest with yourself. What are you contributing to the partnership? It's easy to be like, my partner never takes out the groceries. My partner never pays the bills. My partner never does this. My partner is always doing this and this and this. Big things, little things, all of it. I mean, A, what did you allow from the beginning? That's why it's also important to kind of have your eyes open from the beginning. That's not always easy, I know. But B, what are you doing? What are things maybe that annoy your partner that you're doing what are things that you're withdrawing from the the fund, the partnership fund, so to speak? And what are you contributing and depositing? Communication, so important. Communication is so important um, to to share your your wants, your needs, all of that. And uh, you see those memes where I mean, and they're in jest, but serious, not serious. A lot of times, I think. <laughs> where you're like, God, I was dropping so many hints and they weren't picking up on my hints and oh, how annoying. That's not their job to pick up on your hints. You're not Hansel and Gretel dropping breadcrumbs. It's, you're an adult. If you're in, a, in a, an adult relationship, communicate, speak clearly. It's hard sometimes, yes, but it's worth it. And it's not their job to try to break through. It's your job to lower your defenses. It's your job to to communicate what you need and want. It's hard sometimes to pick up on what other people are saying. And even sometimes I can be stubborn and I I have to work on this because passive aggression irritates me and people who I can tell they're trying to get me to respond a certain way because they're not, I try to find a euphemism, a nice word to say they don't just come right out and say what they're thinking or wanting me to do or say. Like they're trying to like guide me to a certain reaction or to a certain response and that just irritates me because I'm like just come out and say what you're saying I know what you're saying so then I'll rebel I'll <laughs> just to defy them which isn't always healthy either because I can I need to also be direct about it and be like I see what you're wanting me to do but it would be so it would be awesome if you could just speak directly to me and straight to me so anyways it's up to you to speak clearly about what you want if you're not getting your wants um or needs met in the bedroom, in the relationship, in the kitchen, in the whatever it is, it's on you. You got to speak up. It's not on them to pick up the hints. And passive aggression, that's corrosive to relationships. And it's frustrating on both ends. That initial discomfort is far outshadowed by just how quickly you can, or yeah, more quickly you can get to a resolution. And if you don't get to a resolution, often that can maybe point you in another direction like maybe this is something that's non-negotiable maybe this is something that really isn't working out but save your time save your headache save your hassle save all of that and just say what you mean and mean what you say and mean what you say (laughs) and the threats and the all of this and the uh the contempt and the um i can't remember the gettys i can't remember their first and last name i think that's their last name but they say that the they can assess couples within high, 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 high percentage, 80, 90 percent. 
of whether the couples will last or not. And the number one indicator is contempt. So if you and your partner are expressing contempt to or about one another, kiss of death, red flag, no bueno. So just respect your partner, even if you're not in it anymore. I mean, still, people deserve a baseline of respect. Respect them enough to tell them so you can both go on your way. Um, Address your codependency if you sense that in yourself for the other that's something that can really drag down a relationship. And this comes from self-reflection. This comes from therapy. This comes from digging in and looking at your relationship and yourself honestly. And it's not, like I said, it's not your partner's job to make you happy. You have to own your emotions. And I, I know I've talked previously about this. I had a partner who would, and we would talk about this, how he would get so upset that I would make him sad or I'd make him angry. I'd make him and say, like, you are, you are controlling my emotions. And I'd tell him, no, I'm not. I can't control your emotions. You control your emotions. You control how you respond, maybe like how you initially react. And that comes from reflection and working on yourself and your triggers and all of that, being aware of them and resolving them and working through them. But how you feel and how you respond and how you let whether or not you let your emotions stay and linger and swallow you up, that's up to you. You let that, you let your emotions affect you. Or There's a delicate way to put this because emotions are informative and emotions are natural and emotions are necessary and all of that. So it's natural to feel sad and mad and all of that, but we do have a say on how they control us and if they control us and if they consume us and what we do with those emotions. So maybe our initial reactions aren't necessarily up to us or within our control. I mean, you know, as far as you're working on your triggers and all of that. So hopefully if you're working on your triggers, less and less will get to you. But how you respond, that's what matters. And it's up to you and you got to own your emotions. And this actually, ironically, the same old boyfriend that I'm thinking about, I remember he would get so mad because I'd often ask him how he was or how he was doing or whatever. This was before he was, we were together and he wouldn't, he often just would brush it off or he wouldn't directly respond. And I'm not a prior, so I'm very private. So I'm always coming from the angle of, oh, I don't want to pry. If they wanted to tell me, they would tell me I'm not going to push. I'm not going to push. And so sure enough, it comes out like I actually finally just said, like, I often ask you and you never, you never respond or you never give me an honest answer or whatever. And he's like, yeah, because it's you need to keep asking and you need to like push down those walls. And I said, no, no, that's not my job. That's your job. That's your job to work on your defenses and your guards and your armor that you have built up. It's your job to let the love in. I'll provide the love. But if other people are providing the love and you're not letting it in, that's on you. You have to let the, the guards down and you have to let the, the love in. There's a really beautiful quote about that that I can't remember right now. But know yourself and know your love languages and take the time. That can make or break a relationship, knowing your love languages. And there's a quiz that you can take. Mine are um, words of affirmation and time. It's very important to me. Um, and so if you know yours and you know your partners, then you can sync up and you can accommodate each other's 
and then you guys can both fulfill each other. And that is so important and communicate them and be willing to hear others and be willing. This is, this is so important. It's not just about knowing what you need and want from a relationship. It's being open to what your partner needs and wants too, and not getting defensive and opening it up. And that can be really hard sometimes, but again, worth it. Okay, moving on. Loyalty. Let's talk about loyalty to partners some more, but loyalty to business partners. I mean, kind of the same tenants, right? So be honest, be upfront, balance what's best for the business versus what's best for your partner and for you individually. And sometimes that evolves and changes and diverges and you guys go your separate ways and just... I mean, constantly be in communication with each other and honest with each other and open. And and that's, from my perspective, generally how you have a, a successful relationship. Loyalty to friends. And there's so many different ways you can be loyal to your friends. A subtle but powerful way is to use discretion and to not share secrets that aren't yours. To not talk behind your friends' backs, especially if you're talking ill of them to not gossip about them, to not tell their business, especially if they haven't signed off on you telling their business. And then I know that there are lots of strong opinions on whether or not you can date friends' exes and depends on how good of a friend you are, how not. I know that that can get a little dicey too, but that's a conversation to think about and to maybe have with your friends. And that's where a gray area is too, what loyalty is in friendship. Okay, loyalty to vendor, loyalty to brand and loyalty to vendor. And my sister and I talk about this a lot, not only because we're both business owners and have had multiple businesses, but also because we're also consumers of others too, other businesses too. So you have an auto shop that you're loyal to or a med spa that you're loyal to or a photographer that you're loyal to and I'm more of a casual photographer. My sister does it full time. So we often talk about this and she's great about this, about knowing and acknowledging and understanding that your money is your money. And photographers are so different and it can be so personal as far as their aesthetic and their vibe and their product and what they deliver and their personality too. That's a large part of it. And if they vibe with your family, if my sister's brilliant at working with kids and getting them to open up and with anybody she's so disarming and charming and oh she's just wonderful but doesn't mean that everybody's gonna vibe with her everybody if I'm a photographer everybody's gonna vibe with me or let's say that just one year you kind of want to go a different way you're you're kind of feeling a different vibe and or you're friends with another photographer and you want to support them too and so the next year you decide to go a different way with another photographer that's your prerogative you get to do that it's your money, it's your time, it's your memories that you want recorded in a certain way. Shouldn't you get to decide that? Loyalty is important to a degree, sure, but also it shouldn't come to the detriment of, of you. And so we talk about this and my sister, like she says, like she'll see that somebody else went with another photographer and so she'll comment on their pictures and she's like, I, I can see how it could be perceived as passive aggressive like oh those look beautiful almost like a okay I see you went with a different photographer I'm clocking you I see it's not that at all she's like truly I want them to know there's no ill will fully support whatever decision they make she has a very evolved perspective on this but then I've seen 
I remember dermatologists that I went to um, in college, and I remember I decided to go a different way with another dermatologist, and the secretary was visibly pissed at me, and she was very short and just rude, not even borderline rude. She was just rude when I was, like, asking for my records to transfer them, and she was just not happy, and she, I think she just felt so betrayed. Understandably, I, I get it. And so I just kind of, you know, just was as polite and nice as I could be. But that's my prerogative. And I've seen vendors get very upset and hostile when they themselves will choose different vendors and not be loyal to just one person. And they'll go different ways, but they demand loyalty. So that's a two-way street. So that's important to remember that we all get to kind of choose our way. And there are different ways, good news, of supporting businesses and vendors. So let's say that you have one brand that you um, usually go to and then you decide to support another one, another business owner. There are different ways you can support like both or all of them. So you can shout them out on social media. You can refer other people to them. You can speak highly of them. You can write great reviews of them. So many different ways you can support. So you're not just locked in. But loyalty, I mean, think about what loyalty means to you. And do you want to be locked in? And freedom is such a buzzword these days. So applies to this too, you know? Okay, loyalty to family. This can be dicey sometimes, I know. And especially, I mean, toxic is another buzzword. Toxicity and toxic people. And I sometimes find issue with that too because I feel like that can be very outward focused instead of inward focused. And a lot of it, should be inward focused and not to say that there aren't toxic people and you need to set boundaries and sometimes you need to love from afar but it's also again assessing what am I contributing to this what am I allowing what am I contributing am I being toxic there are ways that we can all be toxic that's kind of hard to admit so that's important to remember and with family that's hard too because you I remember always growing up just not just when I was a child but throughout my life and I'd see this in movies and books and with people I know, never quite understanding, which is ironic because my family's super tight. But also, like, we'll call each other out on our BS. But let's say, like, that in a movie, in a dramatic example, that somebody had just dishonored or betrayed or said something rude to, to a family member, to a sister, a brother, a mother, a father, whatever, even though that was warranted, let's say that they said, like, an insult or something that was true but then the sibling or whatever would be so offended and pissed off and protective and defensive of that family member that they'd be like okay so like rally the troops everybody needs to wage war against this one person whether or not that was true whether or not there was a validity to the insult and the statement or whatever or let's say that they had actually perpetrated the wrong and they had actually done something wrong but it was like, okay, well, since we're family, we all need to stay together. It's solidarity. Even though we're in the wrong, we're going to band together and wage war because how dare them call us out on that? How dare them? It doesn't matter if we were in the right or the wrong. We're just going to band together. Well, that doesn't really sit right with me. That doesn't really seem to <laughs> be the way it should be. I mean, I respect when it's like, okay, I, I messed up. Let's let's doesn't mean that you have to like completely disavow and abandon your family member but speak truth to them and level with them and be like you messed up 
I support you and I will be here with you through this, but you messed up and I'm not going to perpetuate the wrongness of this by doing something that's more wrong. And so that's important too. And if you're born into a family that truly is toxic, sometimes you do have to, boundaries are important always. You have to love from afar and distance yourself and maybe not go to the family functions anymore. And maybe you have to distance your relationship with them. That sucks. And that's really, really, really hard. But just because they're family, does that mean that your life needs to tank then, you know, and there are different ways that you can support from afar and love from afar. And that gets really dicey when you get into situations like addiction, right? To know when to draw the line especially when your your safety is being endangered and aging parents to know to know when to put them in a home and when to keep bringing them into your home and like having them live with you I mean I personally plan on having my parents live with me but I also say that understanding that I don't know what my situation will be in the future and what the circumstances will be. And there's so many variables in that that could affect the situation. Like my family's health at that point and how we're able to accommodate that space, like physical space, um, just how how it affects our lives and what's actually the best care for the parent and like the aging parent and so many different factors at play and so that's important to reserve judgment and not be like oh how dare them abandon their family member and have them go live in a home and again there's so many different ways you can support so that can be a little dicey too and that's one thing that I would love to talk with you guys about and get to hear like what you specifically would have to say about that and what your experience has been and what you think about family loyalty And that can be really gray and nuanced and uncertain and tough, especially when it's a parent, man, because we're, speaking of biology and evolution, we're wired to need and to want to survive upon your caregivers, your primary caregivers' acceptance of you. And that, that cuts deep and that runs lifelong, you know, even if you are grown up and you don't literally rely on them anymore. And even if you lived with a grandparent or whatever, that's still, you're still going to crave that. That's still going to be really hard to override. And somebody else that's very important to you, it's hard to override that need and that want, especially if you're wired to need and want it. And so family can be messy and hard and hopefully you can work through it and resolve it. And a lot of issues you can through communication, through self-work, through patience, through love, through boundaries, through seeing how you're contributing to it and how others are. And I mean, it's not just a simple formula that will solve it. And therapy is very helpful in this situation too, and to kind of get an outside perspective and to give yourself grace and compassion and to know that we're all humans and we do the best that we can and the ugly stuff that we do to each other or coping mechanisms, again, doesn't mean that we condone ugly behavior, but we can understand it and then we can know how to act accordingly and we can still always give compassion and compassion isn't just allowing it to continue. Boundaries are important, but you can have compassion from afar if it comes down to it and loyalty to country. This is a big one lately, right? 
I mean, it always has been, but it feels especially lately. And you feel, you see people get so defensive and critical race theory and all of that. And that's misperceived and misunderstood to think that it's just bashing on our country. And it's not. So if that's what you think it is, please look into it. I know it's very um, off-putting to hear educate yourself. So that's not necessarily why I'm saying if that's what you think it is, it's so, it's not. I don't want to make this that conversation, so I'm not going to get into it, but it's really not. And I'm of the mind that that shows a healthy regard for whatever entity it is, whether it's your country, whether it's your business, your employer, whatever. If you're willing to accept the flaws and the blemishes and see them and acknowledge them and address them, because apathy, that's the kiss of death. When you, you're so checked out, you don't even care, that's, that's when it's over. You just don't even care enough to bitch about it. I hate saying bitch about it, when, to complain about it. But when you're in acknowledging weaknesses, I mean, there's ideally a way to do it. Don't just complain, actually constructively approach it. But I remember, and not to make this political too, but uh, James Comey, who's a former director of the FBI, I remember he had a very great way of framing it where you could tell how invested and devoted people were to an organization by how they regarded and interacted with or felt to interact with a piece of garbage lying on the ground so if you see a piece of trash lying on the ground you're walking through the halls the people who just walked by it these aren't the janitors these aren't the custodians people who are whose job it is to pick it up these are just regular employees no matter how high or low they are if they just walk by it, that shows that they're not truly invested. But the people who bend down and pick it up, and again, this sure can be a testament to people's character and all of that, but it shows how invested they are too in the business and the organization. If they regard it as their business and their organization, they feel invested in it. And a lot of that comes from leaders and the culture and all of that, but you also have to take accountability too, you know, for yourself. And... So that was really interesting. And I've thought about that ever since whenever I walk by a piece of garbage on the ground and, and pick it up. I was, my parents raised me well, <laughs> but yes, that's one way to view it and to think about it. And I just think that when you can acknowledge where you're, let's talk about your country still, where your country falls short and where they need to level up. I think that's good. Again, ideally you'd be constructive about it, not just complaining about it and whining about it. But that's how we get better. We don't get better by deluding ourselves that we're the best. And that's always, and we're going to get into this too in the next one that I talk about, but loyalty to country, that's ever since I was a little girl, and this might sound very anti-patriotic of me, and that's not how it's intended, and like I just, I'll explain. But people who are like, oh, my country is the best. My... My team is the best. My school is the best. My whatever is the best. I understand pride. I do. And I understand how motivating that can be. I understand how it can really encourage investment in it and hype people up. And I understand all of that. But to truly think that you're the best, I just felt like was so, this might sound harsh, but delusional in a way and blinding in a way and disserving in a way and dangerous in a way. I mean, I thought this when I was like a little girl 
with Taihi pride going to school, but also just the older I've got, the more entrenched that come becomes in my mind where it's like, but everybody has strengths and weaknesses. Every country has strengths and weaknesses. Why do we, why does it have to be one is better than the other? I mean, maybe on certain things at certain times, but across time, we pass each other, we we tell each other. I mean, I just don't understand why one has to be the best and why can't it just be we are awesome? Why does it have to be we are the best? Why is it like a zero-sum game? And why can't we acknowledge other people's strengths? And why can't we acknowledge other countries' strengths? And why does it... I think that that can really lull you into complacency and that's why it's dangerous and also dangerous in other ways too. And I'm trying to choose my words carefully because I don't want, A, I don't want to make this political and B, I don't want to make this more inflammatory than it needs to be. I don't want it to be inflammatory, but I want it to be thought provocative, but loyalty to country. Why can't there be other awesome countries in the world too? Why? I think it's dangerous when we start to think that we're the best because we start to turn a blind eye to where we're not the best and where we're falling short, the significant ways that we're falling short. And that limits us too. That holds us back because if we're not learning from other countries, if we're not seeing, oh man, they're really handling water preservation really well there. They're really handling the education system really well there. I really like their approach Then we can learn from each other. And there are things that we excel at and why can't we learn and grow from each other? And I just had this conversation with my niece again today about kind of in the same vein where she keeps saying, I know, I know. And then she'll just recite all the facts that she knows to show how superior her knowledge is to me. And you don't know anything, Aunt Witty. And I, I love, I really respect the confidence, but I've told her when you say, I know, you're not learning. And the really, really, really smart people, when you know someone is really smart is when you see them say, when they can admit that they don't know something and when they want to still learn and we can learn from each other. I said, there are things that you don't know that I know and there are things that I don't know that you know. And this kind of goes back to my recent podcast episode on one ideology does not have all of the answers. One political party does not have all of the answers. Why can't we learn from each other? Why? Does it have to be an all or nothing? Why can't it be a hybrid? Why can't we celebrate the differences and celebrate the strengths and weaknesses and evolve and learn and not be so arrogant? And I kind of talked about loyalty to teams, so let's talk about that. Gosh, going back to the same boyfriend. <laughs> I remember talking with him because he is a fan of a certain NFL team, football team, and he was talking to he was kind of just shit talking, smack talking about the team that my dad likes. My dad likes the Packers and this boyfriend liked another team and I'm not going to out him. Um, and so he was like, I understood it was smack talk at first, but I understood too, cause I knew him well and I understood that there was a lot of, um, earnestness. Like he really under, he really believed, no, but really this is the better team. This is a superior team. And so I pushed a little and I was like, because he, he was saying, oh, like, soon enough, I'm going to get your dad, like, over, you know, to see the light. And no, like, it's just a matter of time where I'm going to convince your dad. And, you know, we'll write that wrong soon enough and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, no, but really, like, I'm truly curious. Why is your team better than the other teams? Like, what makes it better? 
and so you could tell he was like uh kind of caught off guard and so then he just this is just my perspective starts throwing out some generic really no answers where it's just like because they're hard working and i just really respect their loyalty and their work ethic and how hard they try and you know how just committed to the team they are and i'm like couldn't you say that about almost pretty much every team out there though like what differentiates your team from another team a lot of times it's arbitrary what incites loyalty and people like i like their colors or my mom likes a certain team because the coach his wife is from her hometown (laughs) you see how arbitrary arbitrary and random it can be and some people have like you know varying reasons for whatever their allegiance is but and again like I've noticed this all throughout my life it just really never made sense to me because teams are always changing and evolving but I mean what you liked about one team maybe it's from your hometown and I can understand that but I think it's just owning it like this is the reason why I like them it's not because they're a better team and sure some teams can win the Super Bowl and, you know, certain championships and stuff like that. But still, I mean, just any one of those players, there are so many moving parts in a team. And any one day, you could, maybe the whole team is having an off day or the quarterback is having an off day or whatever. They're having an off day and then they just tank that game and then they lose a championship. That doesn't mean that they're a bad team or that they're even less of a team than the team who won. Maybe the team who won is just having like an excellent, stellar, uncharacteristically awesome day. And so it's just so fluctuating to me. And I mean, you start to think about player coach transfer. So maybe you like one team because of one player, but that player might get traded to another team. And so then all of a sudden, does that mean that like the Buccaneers aren't as great as they used to be or the Patriots aren't as great as they used to be? And what about coach transfers too? Because there are so many moving parts. And so if you're loyal to one team, what's what's causing your loyalty? And I think that's a good question to ask for all of this. What is causing your loyalty? Why are you loyal to what you are loyal to? What does loyalty mean to you? Let's start with that. Why are you loyal? How are you loyal? How are you not loyal? How should you be loyal? How are you too loyal? (laughs) You know, I mean, just these are some important questions to ask yourself that apply to pretty much every area of your life. And again, like, let's revisit the questions that I asked before. And this is kind of what I'll leave you on because I don't want to tell you how to think. I just wanted to provide some food for thought. Again, I just want this to be thought provocative. So let's end on these questions. What does loyalty entail? What should it entail? And this is loyalty to a partner, to a friend, to a brand, to a vendor, to a family member, to a team, to a country, to an ideology, to a cause. Should it be conditional? Should it be blind? Should it be all-encompassing? What do you think? Let's really emphasize the importance of defining loyalty and kind of to take it back to what we had talked about, loyalty to partner. Part of that comes with emotional fidelity, right? We kind of talked about how emotional fidelity can differ from physical fidelity. So let's say that you see somebody in the grocery store and you think that's a really attractive looking human. You can objectively appreciate their attractiveness it doesn't mean you're going to act on it. doesn't mean you have any desire to act on it, but we're human. It's inevitable. We will find other humans attractive, even if we are in a committed, loving, devoted partnership relationship. And my sister and I talk about this all the time. And I remember talking about this in my episode with Gage Horn. You can appreciate someone's beauty or handsomeness, their looks, but not be 
attracted to them per se. I mean, and I know that that gets into the conversation of physical versus emotional attraction and how that differs between genders and among different kinds of gen- kinds of uh, ways of identifying. But I just think that that's important too to identify really what loyalty means and how it can manifest and what is a deal breaker for you in your partnership and what leads to that being a deal breaker. Why is that a deal breaker? Why are you so triggered by that? Not saying you should or shouldn't be triggered, but really dig deeply into that. Why am I triggered triggered by that? Why does that mean so much to me? Why does that cut so deeply? Is there anything I can do about that? Is something I can resolve on my end? Yes, no. And so, gosh, there's a lot of thought that can go into this. And so how about if just overall, not just with partnership loyalty, but overall, how about we prioritize respect? Focus on respect over loyalty. Respect for your partner, respect for yourself, respect for your country, respect for others. And that comes, that stems from respect for yourself. That's why I launched this from talking about respect for yourself or loyalty to self. But if you respect yourself, that's what frees you to respect others. And I leave you with that. I love you.